Cool. Thanks, kids. Um, parents, I think there's a few extra seats that have dotted up around. We've got about 10 people or so looking for chairs at the back, so maybe just put up, give a little friendly wave if you um, have you got a seat or two next to you. There's some at the front here. Nothing bad happens in the front row. I'm not a spitter, so you're gonna, you can come down here if you need to. But good morning, everybody. It's Resurrection Sunday. How exciting, right? Jesus is risen. It's beautiful. You all look so excited. Um, you know, we had a morning uh, Thursday service um, this week, and um, we got to just sit in a bunch of Jesus' teachings uh, from John 12 to 17 as he's with his disciples in that last evening. And while we did it, and what we said is, I mean, we know as Christ followers, as Christians, if you're here today as Christ followers, that most of our faith and most of our life is built around resurrection power. Jesus is alive. He's overcome it. We know that, and hopefully you'll feel in this church that most of the time it's about celebration. But The journey through Easter week as we prepare takes us through the confusion and betrayal and pain of Thursday and Friday, the silence and confusion and God's what's going on on Saturday. And doesn't it feel like this week's been a little bit full of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? I mean, I know literally there was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but just this last little week and the last little while, there's been the sense of, God, what's happening? And we've all got these stories of, of people that we know or our own stories of devastation and things like that. But uh, we've, we've, we get to process that, but thank goodness we get today to celebrate the resurrection um, and to celebrate and alive Jesus. I do just want to say, church, I'm really proud of us and well done for those of you who've responded with donations of stuff and money and phoning to ask how you can help. We have just, we've taken care of um, six orphanages and five churches around us that have been devastated by what's going on. And every day this week, there's been people just dropping off carloads of stuff and sending money through. And thank you and well done for your response. In amongst your own chaos, you found a way to serve people and, and it's beautiful. And just to say, we made a decision late yesterday that any um, cash offerings that come into the box outside in the foyer or any Zappa offerings that come in today are going to go straight to that relief effort because we, we know that there's a lot of work that's still got to be done. And so if you feel on your heart to give towards that, um, anything that comes in today from there will be going towards that. Is that all right? Fantastic. Um, it's lovely when the kids go, hey, we love them being here, but it's also nice when they go to kids' church and we get to just focus on the big people stuff. Um, this morning uh, for Easter, we're wrapping up a series called uh, But God. Um, uh, and it's been a beautiful, beautiful um, series. Uh, we'll talk in a second about what we've looked at. But just an invitation that from next week and for six Sundays, we're starting a, a kingdom series, looking at the theology of the kingdom, Jesus as king coming to establish a kingdom and what it means for us. And the series is called, What on Earth is God Doing? Have you ever found yourself asking that question? If that's a little bit hectic for you because you grew up, grew up in like fire and brimstone church, then we're designing it so it can also say, what is God doing on earth? So it's a little bit more friendly. You know? But either way, we want to ask the question, what's God doing? Like, what, what, is he at, what is he up to? Why does stuff seem to happen the way it's happening? How do we explain life on earth? And I think it's going to be a beautiful life-giving and freeing service. So please do come along to find out. I don't think there's a better framework to understand how to decipher life on earth, earth as a, a Christian than by understanding the kingdom of God. Cool, but today we get to look at um, Easter, and I'm going to read now from Ephesians chapter 2, and it'll be up on the screen there if you want to join along. So, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
beautiful piece of scripture, and we'll come back to that in a second. But first, I wanted to tell you a little bit about the year 2007 when I found myself on a train down to Guildford. I was living in the UK at the time, and if you know Guildford, it's this beautiful southwest of England town, kind of halfway between London and Portsmouth, Southampton. And I had a bunch of friends and family in London, had been there for about a year as a manny, a male nanny looking after three little boys from an Australian uh, family, uh, and I decided I wanted to get back into church work. And so there was this beautiful opportunity in Guildford, this fantastic youth pastor slash young adult pastor for a great church down there. And to be honest, quite a lack of salary in pound sterling. You know, you, back then you're multiplying everything by eight, so it was like, oh, that goes a long way. And like a, your own accommodation and a car and 45 days a year leave as a youth pastor, right? So, amen. <laughs> so I hopped on the train. Head down there, walked in, feeling a little bit nervous, and there's, there's three people interviewing. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience where I just aced that interview, man. It just went so well. The people were just like smiling and nodding along and laughing, and just there was such chemistry in the room, and it was fantastic. And I thought to myself, hey, this youth pastor job's going to be lacquer. They ended, shook hands, said, thank you so much. And I said, it's my pleasure. <laughs> and I hopped back on the train. They said, we'll get hold of you in a couple of days to let you know. And I thought, fantastic. And just kind of looking outside at the new place I was going to live and driving halfway or driving, training halfway back. They didn't wait two days. They were so excited about me that they phoned then and there. And it's 2007, so it was one of those flip phones. You know those flip phones? I flipped it open and said, how's it, man? And they were like, I just want to say again how much we loved getting to meet you and enjoy that interview. And I said, please go on. Please carry on. And they just said, you know, it was great, and we'd love to hear about your heart and your passion for the church. And so, uh, but. <laughs> Hung up my flip phone very humbly. Uh, long story short, there was an internal guy who got the job. They knew he was going to get the job all along, but they had to kind of follow their due diligence to interview people and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, hey, it's a happy story because a few months later, I ended up back in Olive Tree. I didn't expect you to be this depro after that story. Things are okay. I've, I've, processed, uh, I've processed not living in Guildford. It kind of worked out okay. But here's the thing. I'm sure you can relate to those big moments in your life where you've got a plan and you think this is the A plan, this is how things should go, how God's going to come through for me, and you kind of map out your life, but there's these big butt moments that kind of hit us for a tangent. They turn us 90 degrees or turn us 180 degrees, and we find ourselves having to process this big stuff. And, and I was in the southwest of England there with a good plan for a good life and things that I thought would go, and there was this big butt that happened. Oh, one's broken. This big butt that happens. Sorry, if we're having fiber problems uh, in the area, as you know, a little bit of a delay on the clicker. And you know your own butt, right? Mm. Um, not a great way to say that. You, 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 know, that, you know the stuff that's, that, that comes up. The, the butt fear keeps grabbing hold of me, but rejection, but the economy has just clapped our business, but the rain has washed away, but the looting, but the church, but my ex, but infertility, but doubt, but fear, but anxiety, but sickness. And there'll be a but that you didn't see coming that has intercepted your life or turned you 90 degrees as keeping you up at night. And whatever your belief system here this morning, whether you're a Christ follower or maybe you're here investigating what he's all about on Easter, maybe you got dragged along by family and you can only have roast chicken and Easter eggs afterwards if you come to church in the morning. Sorry, it's not going to be a long sermon. But whatever our worldview, we have to figure out answers to some problematic questions. What do we do with the problem of sin when we mess stuff up? What do we do with the problem of evil when others seem to mess stuff up? What do we do with the problem of pain and disappointment and fear? What do we do with all this stuff? And may I suggest this morning that the answer to our 
but life curveballs is these two beautiful words in Scripture, and I'm sure you know where this is going. Maybe the most powerful words in all of Scripture, but God. In the midst of those moments, but God. And so we've, for the last few weeks, looked at how Jonah in the Old Testament, he, he thought that people should be wiped out, and he wanted justice done against them, but God was merciful towards them and turned his life around and turned their life around. We looked at Joseph where others had intended evil against Joseph, but God turned it for good. And he actually says, you meant this for evil against me, but God has used it for good. And Daniel's friends, we learned about last week in Dao's beautiful message, in the fire, the fire comes, the pressure of life comes, but God was with them and he was faithful to protect them. And of course, today we wrap up with the biggest but God in all of Scripture, We read in Ephesians earlier that, but God, but whenever you start there, you've got to jump a couple verses back and go, what's the problem? What was the problem that that, um, Jesus was having to deal with? And here's how Ephesians chapter 2 starts. It diagnoses it so well. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked. You had your own stuff that you had caused in your life. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air. There was someone else, an enemy, who's causing a whole lot of devastation and stuff carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature then children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's a big problem. The things I do and the things that get done to me. But here's where this beautiful two-word phrase comes in, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And we'll come back and read the rest of that in a sec. But friends, Easter reminds us, even after a week like this and a two-year period like this, that number one, the cross is empty. Sin has been taken care of. We can walk in peace. We can walk in joy. We can walk in acceptance with God because the cross has happened. It is finished. And Jesus has breathed his last breath on the cross. We know then the story that he's resurrected. And not only is the cross empty, which takes care of sin, but the tomb is empty. And death itself and separation get taken care of. Heaven is secured one day. And the pain and separation and brokenness that exists here will one day no longer exist. And those who believe in Christ get to receive that. Sin is taken care of. Death is taken care of. And for those who today believe in Jesus... We get to receive that resurrection life, that beautiful transaction, that, that divine exchange, and be seated with him in the heavenly place, and life is taken care of. The problem of sin, the problem of death, and the problem with what to do with life on earth gets beautifully, beautifully taken care of in the Easter story. Now, that's not a new message to most of us. We hear that every year. You've probably heard the Easter story dozens of times. But it should still be staggering to us and overwhelming, particularly when you scratch beneath the surface and get to the why behind Easter, the motivation that God has to go to the cross, to send Christ in our place. Why on earth would he choose to do that? And let's read through that scripture line by line to tell us why. Number one, but God being rich in mercy. What's God like? Is he rich in anger? Is he rich in being distant and far away? Or is he rich in mercy? Has he got so much mercy to give away that it can be new to us every single day? Dane Ortland says this in his absolutely magnificent book, Gentle and Lowly. I would recommend anyone read it. He says this, Whether we've been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, or usually both, the Bible tells us that God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but open-handed. He's not frugal, but lavish. He's not poor with mercy, but rich. 
The fact that God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not just hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. Isn't that beautiful? That God's mercy would set up shop, would make camp, would permanently move into the homes of our hearts. His mercy is new every day. He sets up an inheritance of mercy for us, and man, oh man, do we need it. So that's what God does and what God is like. But why, why, is he, why does he do that? What's his motivation behind it? Well, the next line carries on like this. It's because of his great love for us, even in our worst moments. When we were dead in our sin, when there was ho- we were hopeless and had nothing to offer, when we were dead in our sin, because of his great love for us. For all the motivations God could have had, being right, being judged, getting glorified, and he does indeed get glorified, how beautiful that the primary motivation for God giving us mercy and grace is his great love for us at our worst. That picture you need to hold in your head today as we think about Easter is of a loving father welcoming home a wandering kid and a caring creator rescuing creation from its own mess, not because he's grumpy and reluctant to do so, but because of his great love for us. Christ goes to the cross because of his great love for us. Christ is resurrected because of his great love for us, he gives the church his spirit and his word. So that's why he did it. It's the staggeringly beautiful motivation. And what does he actually do? What's the detail of this beautiful new life? Well, he's made us alive together in Christ by grace with which we've been saved. Maybe the most incredibly beautiful thing about Jesus' resurrection is that he also resurrects us from the very depths of our souls, from the death and separation by grace, a gift we could never earn, but that we must choose to open today. And friends, to be honest, if that was it, if taking care of sin and death right then and there was enough, if just knowing that God loved us and had taken care of our past and then said, right, now get on with it and try not to mess it up again, it would probably be a good enough Easter message. But incredibly, it doesn't stop there. The next line around what Jesus does is beautiful. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him. I want to ask the question, what is this morning? What does it mean for a king to be sat down? It means he's not pacing out of anxiety and fear that things might be going wrong. It means he's not at war having to command a whole lot of stuff. For a king to be sat down means that it is a time of peace and a time of celebration and joy. And we get invited to sit with him. Why does he do that? Why does he forgive us, give us grace, give us new life, seat us with Jesus? Well, it's because he wasn't just settled to take care of our broken past. In fact, the scripture carries on so that in the coming ages, in the looting ages and in the flood ages and in the economic downturn and in the war and rumors of war ages, he might continue to show us the incredible riches of his grace and kindness towards us. Isn't that beautiful? Friends, we desperately needed the riches of God's mercy to save and rescue us from our worst moments that we had caused but we will need the riches of God's mercy and grace and kindness today and every day through the coming age until he comes again. We know that the earth will shake. We know that creation will groan, but we know the church will triumph because our king has triumphed. And if it wasn't enough that he took care of our sin, he loves to take care of us through it all. And it's why we celebrate not just an empty cross and an empty grave, but a new resurrection life because he has risen indeed but God. A very happy Easter to you all. Can we stand? Can we pray? And can we go eat an Easter egg outside? Is that all right? Can we do that?
because he's risen, so we should have some marshmallow and chocolate. Can you just, if you're comfortable, just to stretch out your hand to receive this gift of mercy and grace one more time. Christ, we worship you for an empty cross. We worship you this morning for an empty tomb. And we worship you this morning for a full spirit and a healthy church. We thank you that you are with us in this present age, that you've seated us with Christ, and that your mercy and your grace and your kindness would flood our hearts and minds even now, even at the end of a week like this, at the end of a couple years like this. God, your mercy is enough. Your grace is enough, and we receive it well, God. Amen.